So I was going to expand a message that I did several years ago and uh, drill down. I had, I had uh, four or five topics and, and I was gonna drill down on those with the Lord's Supper. Uh, we're gonna receive the communion table tonight. We're gonna, we're gonna eat and drink doing it knowing that Christ gave his body, shed his blood over our sin. We need to remember Christ's sacrifice. And, and so what I was going to do was refer you to that on the MBT Sermon Finder, and I couldn't find it. I found the link, but I couldn't find the message. The message didn't work. And I'm like, well, how am I gonna refer people to that? Uh, so I was conflicted for a little bit yesterday, and then finally I just decided I probably didn't preach it the way I, was, I needed to the first time. So we're, how many remember this message from like four or five years ago? <laughs> I rest my case. Okay. You need to be put in remembrance of this. And so if this starts to sound familiar, you just start shouting amen. Uh, you know, preach that like there's no tomorrow. Okay. Uh, if you didn't get a handout on the way in, just raise your hand. Somebody will hook you up. The dig keep your hand up till they find you, all right? That's the only way this will work. Um, if it looks like they're gonna miss you, you, the protocol needs to be just start waving, okay? Uh, digital copies of the notes are on the, on the social links and on our website. Uh, while we're getting sorted out on the notes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us in prayer, all right? Father, we need to be put in remembrance of things that we know, and if we don't know them, well, then we need to discover them. And so, Lord, we're trusting that this time would be a time that's very profitable and would be a launch pad for, for how we need to view supper time. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, <laughs> uh, it's so silly, but it's, I think Snoopy sang it, you know. Uh, I think it's like wintertime's fine or something with the ice and the snow and and he ends up talking about overtime, halftime, and, and it's just nothing like my supper time. And, and uh, there is a supper coming, and there will be nothing like it. And if Snoopy can get excited over his bowl, uh, we can get excited about the marriage supper, which is only made possible by Christ's sacrifice. And so, Lord, open our eyes, open our understanding, help us to get, help us to get the right perspective so that our mind, our will, and our emotions will be sub subordinated and following what your word is, is just triumphantly proclaiming to us. Lord, open our eyes, open our understanding. Lord, help us to receive your word tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this will be a foundational message and over the next couple of years, hopefully, Lord willing, uh, we'll expand some of these subjects, some of these passages, and we're gonna look at how uh, you know, these suppers relate to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. But if you run the word supper, if you plug that into your Bible search engine, you run that through the word, what you're gonna realize as you study out supper in your Bible is supper comes at the end of the workday. Right, supper comes at the end of the workday, and that's gonna be the picture that I want us to see tonight or be reminded of tonight. So in Mark chapter six, and this is just a 50,000 foot overview of supper in the Bible, 
and then we'll take together the Lord's Supper. Herod's Supper, Herod throws a supper, and that signals the end of John the Baptist's work. Okay, supper always comes at the end of a work day. So it's the end of John the Baptist's work on this earth, and coincidentally, or not so much, there's a supper, Mark 6, 21. A convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and the chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. Uh, man, that's some dance. I mean, what is Herod thinking? This guy's messed up. She went forth, what do I ask, right? I can have whatever, even up to half the kingdom. So she goes to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. The head of John the Baptist is worth more to her mom than half the kingdom. What in the world is going on here? And yet that's how great the hatred is of this woman. And we'll see why in a minute. In a minute. So she runs back into the king, verse 25. Give me, by and by, in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes which sat with him, because they heard him make the promise, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and demanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So they have a birthday supper and they have John the Baptist's head for dessert. How disgusting, and yet that's exactly what happened. And it was at the pleasure of this wicked woman. Well, why? Well, because John, what's happening here is he's being martyred because he's standing up against sin. That's your first or your second blank, okay? He's standing against sin. And I believe with all my heart, this is one of the reasons why Jesus said, there's no greater born among women. John the Baptist is like Elijah of old. Had they received Christ, he would have been their Elijah. Um, take, take the Matthew class with me in LFBI and we'll get all that sorted out. There was none born of woman greater than John the Baptist, Matthew eleven eleven. That's Jesus' testimony. Well, you see why, okay? Here's why there's this great hatred. Mark 6, verse 17. Herod has John put in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had called him out, verse 18. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel with him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod, fear, he feared John knowing he knew who John was, knowing that he was a just man and holy and observed him and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. He knew John was right with God and he was speaking truth. When you talk about speaking truth to power, you are breaking Levitical law, you married your brother's wife. Because his wife is full of venom and vengeance and hatred, he puts him in prison. He thinks that will satisfy it but at this supper, it signals the end of John's work. And so here, this would be a, a side lesson, but it's probably worth noting. Uh, just a cautionary tale, beware when the wicked party. You don't wanna be anywhere near the wicked when they're throwing a party. Uh, that, that, that never ends well. And 
You've probably seen examples of that in your own life. All right, so that's Mark chapter six. Check out Luke chapter 14. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. I'm gonna just overview it. Again, 50,000 foot overview. And you can just skim along with me. But this is a parable, okay? And in this parable, we're gonna see it's a picture of God calling everyone, calling all to supper. It's supper time, Luke 14, 12 through 24. And in this parable, we're gonna see there's, good, there's a great supper that's being set forth. People are invited. And this parable shows how great news, the best news, can be ignored. So the way that the parable reads, a great supper was made and many were called. And the reason why is there's a biblical principle. The gospel starts in Jerusalem before it can get to the uttermost. Okay, when the gospel goes out, it's to the Jew first, they get first crack and then the Gentile. So a great supper was made, many were called, and then those who were first called rejected the call. They rejected with one consent, they're full of excuses, verse 18, that's the next blank. They're just full of excuses, they've got a thousand reasons. And if you read verse 18, you see that they had in their mind, in their view, they had many better things to do with their life than to take time and respond to this call and go to the Lord's Supper. They're full of excuses. And so look at verse 21, this is the key. The servant comes and tells his Lord what happened, okay? The servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said unto his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maim and the halt and the blind. And so what happens now is because the preferred guests reject the invitation, now the call goes out to the rejects. Isn't it good to be one of God's rejects? (laughs) I mean, I am so glad that he made that invitation to me. I wasn't first in line, but I'm glad I got in line, amen? I mean, I'm so grateful. So a new invitation goes out to the rejects, to the cast-offs. Go out quickly into the streets. Bring in what? The poor, maimed, halt, and blind. It's, the, it's, it's those that the world would despise. And that's the way, I mean, in terms of this picture, one, one piece of this picture, the Jewish people would look at the Gentile nations, you know, the during the time of Christ, the Jewish people, these are God's chosen people and they know it. And the heathen, we would have been a part of the, the godless heathen or, or worshiping demonic gods and so they would view us as being like dogs. They would compare us to dogs. Uh, the cast off, that's what we would have been and so that's who the invitation comes to and so here's what we see in the parable is when the invitation comes, you must receive and accept the invitation if you're gonna partake of the Lord's Supper. Verse 24 says, for I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Those who were first called that rejected, they're not gonna get a place at the table, it's over. You die rejecting Christ and you die eternally apart from God. You must receive and accept the invitation. By the way, you're with this invitation picking what supper you're gonna be a part of. Okay, we're gonna see another supper. Those who, re- those who reject the invitation to the Lord's Supper are actually signing up 
for another supper, and we'll see this in Revelation 19, and it's a supper that nobody will want to be a part of because you're not, you're not going to a table, you're going on the table, okay? This is, a, this is a supper that you want nothing to do with. Number three, this is what we'll be observing tonight, the Lord's Supper, and turn in your Bibles to Luke 22, and again, this is just a high-level overview, and so I'll be walking through the passage, and you can skim along with me as I describe it. Uh, The companion passages, you're gonna see this same supper in John chapter 13 and Matthew 26. You're gonna see it in Mark chapter 14. This supper comes at the end of Jesus's workday, right? It comes at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. John 13, one says, now before the feast, of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of the world into his father. He has, he has come to the end of his earthly ministry and now he is going to take up his cross. At Calvary he will lay down his life. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And so in Luke 22 verses 19 and 20 he describes the cup and the bread. Uh, and this is something that the Apostle Paul describes as oft as you do this, we do this in remembrance of Christ. And so what you got on the way in, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know you've been born again, that you are trusting on Christ as your sin bearer, you know Jesus, I mean he bore your sins at Calvary. But if you've come to the place where you've submitted to that, you've believed on that, you've trusted in Christ as your sin bearer, and you know that, that he was reckoned, according to Colossians 2, your sin at the cross of Calvary, and that the wrath of God was satisfied over your sin 2,000 years ago on that tree. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and he took it in your place. He died for your sin. He shed his blood to wash your sin away. He lay in the grave for three days and on the third day he rose to eternal life and you know just as surely as you're sitting right here right now, you were also in Christ 2,000 years ago. According to Romans chapter six, you were crucified with Christ, you were buried with him in his grave and on the third day you rose again to eternal life. You know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are now born again, you are now a child of God. Jesus is your redeemer. He bought you back from your sin. Okay, if that's you, you're gonna participate with us in remembering Christ's sacrifice. If that's not you yet, no problem. Watch what we're doing. Let that speak to you, the message of good news of salvation, okay? But what we're gonna do is we're gonna eat the bread and we're gonna drink the cup. And the bread is gonna picture the body of Christ that was broken for our sin. And the cup pictures his blood that was shed to wash it away. So the bread and the cup, he describes them in verses 19 and 20. And then the betrayer is described in verses 21 through 22. And coincidentally, this supper will mark the end of Judas's work. And we'll see it's a wicked work. You'll see this also in, in John 13. This is the supper where Judas's first words are recorded in John 12. Uh, You see that previous to the supper being described, but John 12, you see Judas's heart revealed. He's a thief. Uh, You see that that just like Satan, you know, Satan 
is a thief. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so also Judas, uh, he is a thief, and his treachery resulted in the death. Now Christ gave his life, but what facilitated him coming into the custody of these wicked men that wanted to destroy him, it was, it was Judas's betrayal. He, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And, and we see Judas's thieving heart in John 12. In John 13, verse two, we see it's at this Lord's Supper where Judas actually follows the devil. This is a point of decision for him. He follows the devil, and that's your next two blanks. Verse two says, and supper being ended, the devil now having put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 30, at the end of the supper, we see Judas going out into the night. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and then the Bible just tells you, and it was night. Now one of the reasons it does that is because it helps you to pinpoint everything on a timeline. Uh, If you lay out the timeline of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you're gonna see properly uh, 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 what, what we would call uh, a Wednesday night to really, really early morning Sunday. It'd be a late, 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 late Saturday night. It's three full days and three full nights that Jesus was in the grave. For us, Sunday starts at midnight. For the Jewish believer, right, Supper uh, Sunday would start at 6 p.m. on our Saturday. And so the Jewish calendar is set up so that you and I can never really fully know it but we've got a chart for that. If you want it, it'll lay it out, and, uh, and you can see that. You just let us know, and we'll hook you up. But uh, it, it tells you, and it was night. Why is it at night? Okay, well, it helps fix the events of Christ's passion, but, but, but more importantly, why do most people double down on following the devil when it's night? Have you ever noticed that? They just double down when it's night because they think, man, nobody's really looking. So... So it's in this passage where Christ is getting ready to give up everything to buy us back from our wretchedness that the disciples unbelievably unbelievably start bragging in verses 24 through 29. Who's the greatest? I'm gonna be the greatest in the kingdom. You all know it's me, right? Be right at Christ's hand. You know, I'm gonna rule and reign with him. It's just unbelievable. Simon Peter describes his faithfulness in verse 33. Uh, and he's doubling down on everybody else is gonna, you know, if, if, they, if they fail, if they mess up, you know I'd never. And he denies the Lord three times. The Lord prophesies, he describes Peter's failure in verses 31 and 34. Uh, before the cock crows, you'll deny me thrice. And, and so there it is. So this is the Lord's Supper and this is the example. This is what we're gonna be observing tonight. Uh, It's also called the Lord's Supper as a memorial in 1 Corinthians 11. As oft as we do it, we do it in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. And this supper is a place, according to 1 Corinthians 11, where many profane Christ's table with selfish living. Selfish is your next blank. So verse 23 starts the description of the Lord's table. And the complaint or the charge against believers, these are, these, are, these are members of the church that are being rebuked by the word of God here. In verse 20 it says, and when you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. 
For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. You're taking this love feast, this, this feast of charity, and you're using it as an occasion to just pig out, drunk out. I mean, you're just throwing this massive party, and it's, it's BYO everything. You bring your own food. And so you got people who are coming hungry, and you're picking out in front of them, and it's just not right. So, you know, eat at home, get full first. Take care of, don't let, don't let the Lord's table be a focus on the satisfying of the carnal desires of the flesh. That's not right. And don't fail to consider the body of Christ. Don't fail to consider his sacrifice, what it, what it costs Christ in his body. Don't fail to discern the Lord's body, both the sacrifice and the bride. Does that make sense? Let's consider one another when we take the Lord's Supper. In John 13, it's at the Lord's Supper that Jesus shows his humility. He absolutely considers uh, the, the, this church that's going to be bought and paid for at Calvary, empowered in Acts chapter two. Uh, he shows himself a servant leader. In John 13, four, he rose from supper And the Bible says, and laid aside his garments and took a a towel and girded himself. He prepared himself to be of service to the bride of Christ, to his brethren, to the disciples. And after, after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And so the picture there is, is he is giving of himself in service to the brethren. So also, you and I, this is a time for us to show our humility, and that's why we'll bring up whenever it's time to take the Lord's table. Let's not ill-consider the body of Christ. If we've got ought with one another, let's get that cleaned up before we come to the Lord's table. And remember, he sacrificed everything. He bled out to unite us, to make us one body. Don't despise that. Let's follow his example. And all of that, Christ's sacrifice and what the Lord's table pictures, what we're commanded to remember, as often as we do this, we're remembering. Uh, That sacrifice is what purchased our place at the great table, okay, Uh, at the Lord's Supper. So this is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, verses five through nine. And this will represent the end of our workday. The time of the work of the church is rapidly coming to a close. Uh, Soon and very soon, the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain. Uh, We're gonna be transmuted, transmorgified. We're gonna, I mean, we're gonna be translated in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal body puts on immortality. This corruptible body puts on incorruption. We'll, we'll have a body of flesh that's celestial in nature and it cannot get sick, it cannot die. It is like Christ, our vile bodies become like Christ's glorious body. And so we which are alive and remain are caught up together with them, those who are dead in Christ before us that Christ brought back with him at the rapture of the church. They're caught up, their bodies are translated first, then ours, and then we're with the Lord forever. Um, there'll be a judgment seat where we give account, not for our sin, but for our service 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this great supper. It represents the end of our workday. Verse five says, and a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she, be, that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Man, praise the Lord. That is what we're all looking forward to. You know, after our stewardship is over, after we're raptured away, after the judgment seat of Christ, the bride sets down and celebrates with the groom. See, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are espoused to a husband, to the person of Christ himself. Uh, It is a legally binding relationship. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. We have an eternal relationship with him. But it's at this marriage supper that the wedding, right, the wedding takes place. Uh, It'd be a, a kind of a, I've explained it this way before, I don't fully, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. I know I don't fully understand it. As a dude, Jesus is my brother. He is the firstborn among many brethren. But as a collective, I'm part of a great woman. And the only thing I can liken it to is whenever all the Transformers come together and make one of those megabots. It's gotta be something like that. I don't know, I just don't know. It's somehow we all come together and we're the bride. And we're gonna have this wedding feast with our bridegroom, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now here's the problem though. Right now, in this moment, there are many people that you desperately love that mean the world to you, and they will not be at that supper. They're actually gonna be a part, potentially, of another supper. In Revelation 19, it follows the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's called the Supper of the Great God. When Christ comes back to rule and reign, verse 16, he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. So at this supper, you're not at the table, you're on the menu. It's the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sat on them. And you're like, I don't know if that describes anybody I know. Keep reading. And the flesh of all men, both free and bond and both small and great. See, here's the, here's the, well, this is the good news, okay? This is the message of the gospel. All of sin comes short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, and death and hell are cast into a lake of fire, and that fire will burn for eternity, but God's not willing that any would perish, that all would come to repentance, that all would be saved. This is why we make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men, because God is not willing that they perish, that they would be saved. God wants no one to spend eternity in hell apart from him. 
well, that can't just happen. Christ had to come as our redeemer, right? The good news of the gospel is Jesus made a way for us to be at the supper, right? The marriage supper of the lamb, the Lord's supper with his bride. He made a way to make that possible. Just like those in Luke chapter 14, you are called to supper, but only the saved members of Christ's church will be in that supper, right? You must be born again. Now, in terms of how we practice that, it's the saved members, right? It's those who are born again that, if, you know, if you're a church attender but you've never come to the place where you've submitted your life to Christ, you've never believed on the gospel, you can attend church but you're not actually part of the bride. The call is there, come to the supper, but just listen, this supper that we're about to observe tonight, it cannot save you. This pictures what happened when Christ saved you. Do you see the difference? This is so critical that we get this. Only saved, born again members can partake of the Lord's Supper. Those are the ones that are qualified to partake of this memorial. And so in Luke 22, and we'll look at this together, this is where we eat the bread, we drink the cup, and we remember Christ's sacrifice. Jesus said in verse 15, it's with desire. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this. And so you'll see in the cup the grape juice. This is called the, the, the fruit of the vine. It's called the fruit of the vine because it's not fermented. That's why it's not called wine, okay? Because wine it's fermented. Yeast in your Bible is a picture of sin. A little leaven, right? We gotta watch out for leaven. And so this is called the fruit of the vine. So we use grape juice for the Lord's table. So um, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And this pictures the shed blood. Look down in verse 20. Uh, the cup saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. He took the bread, verse 19, and so that's, this is a two-part system. It's got two tabs, you, you, you pick the top one on, on top and you peel it, right? Just like that and that'll get you at the bread. And so he took that bread that pictures his body that's broken for us. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When Christ took that supper, that was the end of his work on earth. It was his last supper. I want you to think one more thing, okay, before we do this. I want you to remember, here's Christ, the Savior, taking his last supper. It's the end of his work. And on the cross of Calvary, when his body was broken, and this is why many times, typically before COVID, we'd have crackers and we'd break them up. So that's always, you know, if you break your cracker, you, you really complete the picture, okay? So there it is, the broken bread. What did he, what, what did he say on the cross? It is finished, because his work was over. This was his last supper. So that's the Savior. 
There's another phrase in your Bible. It is finished. And that's found in James chapter one and verse 15, and it's the work of sin. James 1.15 says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When Christ's work was finished, oh man, it brought forth life, amen? How awesome is that? See, we're remembering the sacrifice. This is the Lord's table. Now this is not our Last Supper. We're remembering, right? So we're taking this supper together, but we're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen? You're either gonna be a part of that supper or you're gonna face the supper that follows, the supper of the the great God, right? And that will come at the end of the work of sin. So that before we do this, do you have it settled in your heart? Do you know that you know that you've been born again? I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves right now. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I don't know that I'm gonna be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm worried that I could end up at the great supper. Would you please pray for me? Could, could you have somebody pray for me? I, I, I don't know that, that Christ is my Savior, that Christ is my Lord. I'd like prayer and I'd like to get this sorted out. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here like that tonight? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I don't know that I'm a believer. Yes, sir. Okay. Is there anybody else? Okay. We're gonna pray for you, but listen, this is so critical. If you'd like prayer, what I'd, I'd love to do is while we're praying, please, would you just get up and walk out to the lobby right now so that, so that we can just get in a corner with you and open the Bible with you? Um, if, if this isn't something you, you can do right now, please don't leave tonight without getting with one of us, okay? But I wanna invite you to do that. If you're willing, we'd love to meet with you right now and pray with you. I'm gonna pray in general, but, but we'd, love to, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to get the Bible open so that you can leave tonight knowing that you're God's child. So you can leave tonight knowing that you're saved, knowing that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, I'm just inviting you to just get up and go to the lobby right now. One of our leaders will meet you there If you want help, we're here to give you help. Uh, If you wanna do that later, you're welcome to do that later, okay? But I'm gonna pray in general uh, for everybody that raised their hand. Father, you see, I think four or five raised their hand and, and just don't know where they're at with you. And so God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today they would know that everything wicked that they've ever done, just like the rest of us, everything wicked I've ever done, Christ bore it to the tree in his body and he was reckoned, he never sinned, but he was reckoned our sin. God, thank you that he bore your wrath over our sin in his broken body. Lord, I thank you that Christ's blood, his shed blood, the perfect blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sufficient. It's a sufficient payment to take away our sin. It washes our sin away. We are washed clean in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. And then, Lord, for the rest of us, God, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you'd help us to live 
in our salvation. There's no condemnation to those that walk after the Spirit, but there's always been condemnation anytime we're trying to live our lives in the flesh. God, help us to remember and reckon who we are in Christ. We are baptized into his death, buried in his grave, and Lord, resurrected in his eternal life, and we're so grateful for this, this price that was paid to enable that, to make that possible at the cross of Calvary. Lord, would you help us now to examine ourselves and is, if there's anything in us that grieves your spirit, anything in us that, that Lord, we, we, we've been preferring ahead of a right relationship with you, God, would you point it out to us so we can confess it as the sin that it is? If there's any relationship that needs to be made right, uh, anybody that we need to reach out, would you just point that out to us so that we have an opportunity uh, to go and, and confirm our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, thank you for the broken body of Jesus. Thank you for his shed blood. Thank you for his death, his burial. Lord, thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for the eternal life that his sacrifice makes possible. And if there, I'm just gonna give you a space here. You just seek the Lord, and if there's anything that needs to be confessed, don't say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin, and then turn around and hold on to it in bitterness or resentment or in stubborn pride. Don't hold on to sin when Christ had to die to rescue you from it. Is there anything that you need to confess to the Lord as sin? Let's take a moment and examine ourselves.